Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today, we are talking about Federalist 37. We typically organize these podcasts around three big ideas from the essay under examination. Here are three big ideas from Federalist 37. Big Idea 1. In Federalist 37, Madison stressed the novel character of the Constitution created at the Convention. Big Idea 2. Madison's argument in Federalist 37 is in significant ways grounded in concerns about our ability to know what we need to know in order to make laws or engage in politics. Big Idea 3. Madison reminded his readers in Federalist 37 of the role of compromise in creating the Constitution. Now, after having looked at several essays written by Hamilton, we turn back in Federalist 37 to consideration of an essay written by James Madison. Federalist 37 is especially focused on describing the challenges facing the convention. There is less in the way of arguments here supporting particular elements of the Constitution. Federalist 37 opened with a description of the goals of the Federalist Papers and pointed to the necessity of better acquaintance with the work of the convention. As a general matter, Madison held that, quote, many allowances ought to be made for the difficulties inherent in the very nature of the undertaking referred to the convention, end quote. So, what was distinctive about the work of the convention? One aspect of the convention that Madison emphasized was the novelty of its work. This is big idea one. Because the work of the convention, the Constitution, espoused a novel view of government, it was bound to evoke particular attention. Quoting Madison on this, quote, It is a misfortune, inseparable from human affairs, the public measures are rarely investigated with that spirit of moderation which is essential to a just estimate of their real tendency to advance or obstruct the public good, and that this spirit is more apt to be diminished than promoted by those occasions which require an unusual exercise of it. To those who have been led by experience to attend to this consideration, it could not appear surprising that the act of the convention, which recommends so many important changes and innovations, which may be viewed in so many lights and relations, and which touches the springs of so many passions and interests, should find or excite dispositions unfriendly, both on one side and on the other, to a fair discussion and accurate judgment of its merits." So the claim here, you see, is that the novelty of the Constitution caused immoderate reactions. Now, what Madison asserted was most needed in the debate over the Constitution was moderation, fairness, and accuracy. One thing that the novel character of the Constitution suggested to Madison was, to use a phrase in common use nowadays, the need to lower expectations, quoting Madison here, quote, the most that the convention could do in such a situation was to avoid the errors suggested by the past experience of other countries, as well as of our own, and to provide a convenient mode of rectifying their own errors as future experiences may unfold them." End quote. The general challenge to which Madison pointed was the need to preserve liberty in the context of this new form of government. Madison framed this challenge in terms of, quote, combining the requisite stability and energy in government with the inviolable attention due to liberty and to the Republican form." End quote. He was well aware of the positive case in favor of liberty and the positive case in favor of an energetic government, or a stable one. The challenge, as he described it, was one of, quote, mingling them together in their true proportions, end quote. And you will see, based on Madison's description, that the challenge emerges 
because the things that are to be mingled seem to operate at cross-purposes, one with another. Quoting Madison here, quote, The genius of republican liberty seems to demand on one side not only that all power should be derived from the people, but that those entrusted with it should be kept in dependence on the people by a short duration of their appointments, and that even during this short period the trust should be placed not in a few, but a number of hands. Stability, on the contrary, requires that the hands in which power is lodged should continue for a length of time the same. A frequent change of men will result from a frequent return of elections, and a frequent change of measures from a frequent change of men. Whilst energy in government requires not only a certain duration of power, but the execution of it by a single hand. End quote. Big idea one concerns novelty. Big idea two looks at a related point. It is concerned with our ability to know and understand. Madison addressed questions such as these in the context of the political project at hand. One task of those writing the Constitution was to describe the distinction between the role of the state governments and that of the national government what Madison called, quote, the task of marking the proper line of partition between the authority of the general and that of the state governments, end quote. But Madison saw that this implicated other similar questions. How, how do we describe and define categories generally? This leads to straightforwardly philosophical questions. How do we know what we can know, and how do we know what we can't know? One can imagine an approach to this range of questions that would focus on particular real-world tasks of governments. As I suggested above, that was not Madison's approach in Federalist 37. Instead, Madison reasoned based on our ability to apprehend other important distinctions, quoting Madison here, quote, Every man will be sensible of this difficulty in proportion as he has been accustomed to contemplate and discriminate objects extensive and complicated in their nature. The faculties of the mind itself have never yet been distinguished and defined with satisfactory precision by all the efforts of the most acute and metaphysical philosophers. Sense, perception, judgment, desire, volition, memory, imagination, are found to be separated by such delicate shades and minute gradations that their boundaries have eluded the most subtle investigations and remain a pregnant source of ingenious disquisition and controversy." End quote. How can we know with certainty the proper division of duties between the national government and the states when nature itself remains a mystery? And, as Madison understood the matter, politics and law seem to have appeared to him even more difficult to understand adequately than nature. Quoting Madison, quote, experience has instructed us that no skill in the science of government has yet been able to discriminate and define with sufficient certainty its three great provinces, the legislative, executive, and judiciary, or even the privileges and powers of the different legislative branches. Questions daily occur in the course of practice which prove the obscurity which reigns in these subjects and which puzzle the greatest adepts in political science, end quote. On this account, we seem to face difficulties gaining adequate knowledge in politics and law. One reason for this is that words themselves may lack sufficiently precise meaning. Quoting Madison here, quote, The use of words is to express ideas. Perspicuity, therefore, requires not only that the ideas should be distinctly forms, formed, but that they should be expressed by words distinctly and exclusively appropriate to them. 
but no language is so copious as to supply words and phrases for every complex idea, or so correct as not to include many equivocally denoting different ideas. Hence it must happen that however accurately objects may be discriminated in themselves, and however accurately the discrimination may be considered, the definition of them may be rendered inaccurate by the inaccuracy of the terms in which it is delivered, and this unavoidable inaccuracy must be greater or less according to the complexity and novelty of the objects defined." End quote. Now all of this may seem like taking the long way around, but Madison summed up by pointing to the effects of these difficulties on the question at hand. Quote, Here then are three sources of vague and incorrect definitions, indistinctness of the object, imperfection of the organ of conception, inadequateness of the vehicle of ideas. Any one of these must produce a certain degree of obscurity. The convention in delineating the boundary between the federal and state jurisdictions must have experienced the full effect of them all." End quote. So that is big idea two, focused on what we do not know and what we cannot know. Big idea three takes up a much more conventional political fact, compromise. In addition to the theoretical difficulties that Madison articulated, the convention faced obvious practical obstacles. Quoting Madison here, quote, To the difficulties already mentioned may be added the interfering pretensions of the larger and smaller states. We cannot err in supposing that the former would contend for a participation in the government fully proportioned to their superior wealth and importance, and that the latter would not be less tenacious of the equality at present enjoyed by them. We may well suppose that neither side would entirely yield to the other, and consequently that the struggle could be terminated only by compromise." End quote. And indeed, Madison pointed to the ways in which compromises of this kind can serve as the basis of further negotiations and renegotiations. Quoting Madison once again, quote, It is extremely probable also that after the ratio of representation had been adjusted, this very compromise must have produced a fresh struggle between the same parties to give such a turn to the organization of the government and to the distribution of its powers as would increase the importance of the branches informing which they had respectively obtained the greatest share of influence. There are features in the Constitution which warrant each of these suppositions, and as far as either of them is well founded. It shows that the convention must have been compelled to sacrifice theoretical propriety to the force of extraneous considerations." End quote. We typically turn briefly at the end of these podcasts to the ways in which the essay under examination might inform the politics of the present and the future. This essay is theoretical even by the standards of the Federalist Papers, so it may be worth thinking in greater depth about the force of Madison's epistemological concerns his discussion of what we can know and understand, and how this might shape considerations of politics. After all, we saw that Madison boiled the question down from difficulties of law and politics to difficulties with ideas, and from difficulties with ideas to difficulties with words. For the sake of simplicity, let's call this set of concerns the problem of knowledge. And the grand scale of the argument, taking up the contemplation of nature itself, seems to suggest that the political difficulties downstream from the problem of knowledge might also be on a grand scale. But it appears to me as if Madison believed the problem of knowledge to serve as the basis of a more limited criticism. The problem might seem like a big problem, but the way Madison uses it 
is to explain incomplete knowledge or deferred understanding or errors of categorization in the context of complex systems of law. These obstacles seem less like absolute barriers to legislation than difficulties that can be coped with or negotiated either in the context of legislation or policymaking or the aftermath of these processes. And this range of potential difficulties seems to have been coped with to a significant degree at the convention, as Madison described it, quoting Madison. Quote, the real wonder is that so many difficulties should have been surmounted, and surmounted with a unanimity almost as unprecedented as it must have been unexpected, end quote. But these questions merit consideration even in the context of ordinary legislation today. What level of knowledge or certainty about the future is necessary for legislation or policymaking? How much uncertainty can we or should we tolerate in these contexts? How skeptical should we be about our ability to understand the future or even the present when contemplating policy and legislation? Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit us at sunwater.org.